0: Hi everyone this is dr cheryl selman and welcome to the love code thank you for joining me for these in-depth conversations that really are so enlightening i find that having the ability to have time to explore topics to be able to learn from people to be open to have a dialogue is so necessary on our healing journey And on The Love Code, that's what we do. We spend the time and I have the most interesting and profound and wise guests on my show and we learn together. And by the way, if you are listening for the very first time, I absolutely welcome you to the show, to this community. If you would like to receive the archive interviews from The Love Code, you can either go to my website, which is drcherylselman.com, Well, you can go to my Facebook page, which is – I'm going to give you my best best Facebook page, which is What Women Must Know. And What Women Must Know is also the name of the other show I do on Progressive Radio Network every Thursday at 4 p.m. So if you go to the Facebook page, What Women Must Know, or go to DrSherylSellman.com, you will get all the archived shows, the great interviews, the great education, and – I trust the great inspiration. So I um, hope you'll be joining me every week. And we're going to just dive into a, a really important topic, a fascinating topic, actually. We're going to be talking to Dr. Thomas Jordan. We're talking about how to learn to love and the guide to healing your disappointing love life, which is um, the latest book that uh, has been created, has been inspired by Dr. Jordan. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Thomas Jordan, who has helped thousands of individuals and couples enjoy more fulfilling relationships and experience more satisfying, longer-lasting love life, lives as a psychotherapist for the past 33 years, and is the author of a breakthrough book, Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life. Dr. Jordan, who specializes in the treatment of chronic love life problems, founded the Educational Resource Love Life Learning Center in 2012. In 2017, he launched the Healthy Love Life Seminar, leading love life educational seminars with his wife. He is a graduate of the New York University's postdoctoral program in psychoanalysis, clinical associate professor of psychology, and a faculty member of the postdoctoral program. Since 1991, he has served as a psychological disability consultant for Verizon, Communication Workers Association, New York Police Department, Con Edison, United Nations, and Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. So it's my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Thomas Jordan to the show today. And hello, and welcome, Tom, to the show.
1: Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for
0: inviting me. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you, and oh my gosh, you have such a uh, an impressive background and history and commitment to this realm of love relationships. It's um, just a, you know, a pleasure to have you with us today because I know we're going to be exploring this mystery of love relationships oh, oh, okay. and uh, and you know it's so important tom isn't it it's like i just want to say before we dive into this we are a culture i think most cultures we yearn for love we plan for love we hope for love um we often find ourselves in a love relationship, but boy, it can go so wrong. All of a sudden we uh-huh. find ourselves in situations that we just are hurt. Well, they're hurtful and they're repetitive in their patterns and we don't even know what's going on. So we need guidance from people like yourself who've invested the passion to helping guide us all through the uh this realm, (laughs) this uncharted Mm. territory called love relationships. So um, I just want to say that as we get into our conversation, because this has really been your work and your passion. So let's talk a little bit about what made you focus in this area.
1: Uh, Three things. One is uh, seeing patients, quite a few patients over the years, who were presenting with all kinds of love life difficulties that were repetitive, Um, and I began noticing that again and again and collecting information about it. Um, What was also interesting is I made changes in my own love life that mirror some of the things I talk about in the book, Learn to Love, um, where I became aware in my own personal treatment experience that I was repeating certain uh I'll call them love life mistakes and, uh, very resulting in a disappointing love life as a consequence. So I made some changes with the help of an analyst I was working with at the time that proved quite fruitful. And I met my wife shortly after that. And I've been married for 27 years to my wife, Victoria. Um, so I wanted to take some of that experience that I had and distill it into what type of changes were made so that people could read about it perhaps and uh work at it more in a more focused way i'm also i've also been very interested in this divorce rate that seems to never go away um it hovers around 50 percent as i keep checking that statistic in fact uh recently i found that it uh uh, another, a new statistic that came out it goes to sixty on second marriages and seventy three on third. Uh, so I think there's something about that divorce rate that is telling us that we have a little work to do to help people figure out uh, what they need to do to prepare themselves in a healthy way for a love relationship. So those are the three major
0: influences. You know that statistic you just gave us is shocking because it's saying, well, first of all, fifty percent is, you know, is is is, is a challenging Chance. percentage Chance. anyway.
1: <laughs> right. Huh. But
0: but it but those percentages go up with the second and third. So it's like people are unconsciously because we really aren't educated about what we're doing in relationships, keep creating the same pattern, but choose to get out of it sooner. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, basically, yeah, very well said. <laughs> right.
0: And you, see, yeah. my, uh,
1: my understanding is that, and my personal interest and my professional interest is in how learning is the fundamental concept here. I believe that people learn things about love relationships, however they learn them unconsciously. And that the family of origin is a very intensive classroom uh, where people learn about love relationships either through observation or the relationships they're in with other family members, sometimes by instruction, but less frequently. Uh, and a lot of this education is unconscious, and it comes from the relationship experiences we have in the family. And uh most people are not aware of what they've learned. And as a consequence, and this is a, a statement that I think it can be shocking to some people. Most of us are not in control of our love lives as a consequence. And I, <clears throat> I certainly met with people over the years that had such a disconnect between what they had experienced in their family of origin and what it taught them about love relationships and what was repeated and replicated in their love lives. For example, an extreme example would be, and I still remember this person, an older woman who told me that in an initial interview that she grew up in a family with a a violent alcoholic father who was uh, physically abusive to her mother. And uh, she witnessed this in childhood. And then when she grew up and left home, she married a couple of men of the same character and had a boyfriend who was in you know moving in that direction as well and when I asked her whether what she had witnessed when she was young was related to what was happening in her adult love life she looked at me with a look I'll never forget like what um, and so that linkage between what was going on earlier in life in terms of teaching her about love relationships and the familiarity that she learned. And that's a kind of a mixed word. Familiarity can be good. Familiarity can be bad. And the root of that word is family. The family, familiarity, and that we take into our adult lives and we can recreate the same misery and disappointment we witnessed earlier in life.
0: So can we delve into the family of origin uh, area a little bit uh, more? Because uh, in order to understand relationships, love relationships, in order to understand why we have what we have or why we can't get what we want or all the, all the, the pain and suffering that can go on in a relationship where your needs aren't being met, we need to begin the journey of healing. And that he, to, to have what we want in our relationships, we must heal the past. We must heal the wounds, as I call them. We must mm-hmm. heal the, 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 the programmings that we were experiencing, introduced to in childhood. And this is so important and so deep. So I, I would love for you to take some time, Tom, and, and explain this to, 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 to us.
1: Explain the healing process as it relates to our love lives. Is that what you're? Well, asking?
0: explain the or no, the origin of the wounds that then generate oh. the frustrating mm-hmm. behaviors and patterns we find in relationships. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I think that the wounds they're referring to are a consequence of what I think of as unhealthy relationship experiences, um, and over time, I've collected about twelve of them that I kept seeing show up again and again in people's love lives. And I believe they're traumatic in many, in most instances, uh, unhealthy relationship experiences like abandonment, abuse, dishonesty, intrusion, rejection, neglect. Um, These are experiences that people have earlier in life that leave uh, after effects. They... They, they leave influences, not only in terms of replicating those relationships, as we mentioned a few moments ago, but also on people's sense of self, how they feel about themselves, their self-esteem. And uh, I think the healing has to do with both of those areas. You know, people repair the after effects of trauma uh within themselves, the emotional after effects, the, the hurt, uh, the disturbances it creates. I think much of our mental illness is related to trauma. I think we've become more and more aware of that, uh, especially now in the 21st century, uh, how trauma relates to mental illness. And so that area, I, I believe, is still evolving in an important way. We take abusive behavior more uh, seriously. I can remember uh, working with patients back in the 80s and 90s and people telling me about how law enforcement dealt with domestic violence, for example, and how it's changed now. In 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 ways that I think illustrate that we're taking it more seriously and and we're we're, we're treating it better and we're we're seeing it as uh, experiences that can cause uh, long term hurt in people's lives. So that's the individual piece and the relationship piece would be how these experiences unhealed, unresolved are being replicated again and again in people's lives. And uh, that's been my primary focus is trying to help people develop the consciousness necessary to begin identifying these repetitive patterns. And in many instances, what happens is once people identify the patterns, they also begin to do some work on their individual experience of trauma and post-trauma, um, they realize how traumatic, for example, abandonment can be. I've seen so many patients over the past 30 years that presented with abandonment experiences, one or both parents um, that really disturbed their childhood experience. And as a consequence, their love lives were impaired because of it. um, And how they uh, lived uh, psychologically was uh, impaired because of it. And so, Uh, Long-term psychotherapy work was focused on uh, helping them not only heal internal wounds, but also to uh, improve the health of their interpersonal relationships, including love relationships as well.
0: This is so fascinating because um, something happens with the first seven years, especially of our life, when we are so open and we're taking everything in and um, processing the the experiences that we are personally having or experiences that we are observing around us. And that becomes a kind of template, you might say, right, to have how we yeah. perceive mm-hmm. and experience the world. So yeah. uh-huh. this
1: becomes... And I would add, I would add beyond seven as well, through Mm -hmm. adolescence, even young adulthood. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. You were going to say more.
0: No, that's fine. You know, and and, I mean, it's just I find really um, important and essential for us to. Um, I have this conversation about the uh, programming that we receive early in life. And, you know, as, uh-huh. as we heal, as we understand, and like that aha moment that you were saying in and, and therapy with um, your patients and all of a sudden they can see what's been happening rather than just running a pattern unconsciously is a pivotal moment of change, right?
1: Absolutely, the, absolutely.
0: And it's the work we need to do if we want to have a successful relationship, bottom line.
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh, the more traumatic the earlier experiences, then you have to do some some deeply reparative work uh, with how people experience terror, for example, or, or trauma. Um, so that's that you know you might end up going in that direction as well. for example, when abuse is involved, uh, different types of abuse you know physical, sexual, verbal, emotional abuse, um, these uh, when you're exploring people's interpersonal lives, you know it's common to end up talking about some of these these hurtful, experiences people have had that are still influencing their love lives and remain unresolved now in adulthood. And my practice is primarily with adults. So that's, that's very common. Um, People will, in the course of therapy, start talking about something they didn't expect to talk about and really start uh, re-experiencing pieces of that earlier hurt that they've had. So you're, you're doing some healing there. And once that's ongoing, people start to look at their relationships and begin to evaluate whether or not the relationships are toxic and how they can set limits or perhaps get out of them. And that's when a person begins the healing process and starts moving toward the possibility of having a healthier love life because their consciousness about how trauma can be replicated in their interpersonal life has become heightened and they're able to begin reflecting on what kind of interpersonal choices they're making and how they're being treated uh, in a relationship. And it's always exciting to get to that point with someone Um where people start talking about, oh, okay, Dr. Jordan, I'm going to take you with me on this date. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm sitting on your shoulder, <laughs> hopefully on the angelic side, not on the devil side. But anyway, but uh, um, it's uh, it's like you know, like that, and I I kind of love that part of the work because it, it it people tell me things like you know, all right. This is, this is what he or she said. And uh, for example, is, is this someone who's capable of having a commitment or is this someone who's emotionally available? And for example, just to put together an example, if someone has been abandoned or neglected, for example, you know, earlier in life and they have unconsciously put together a love life with people who were abandoning, or maybe even they abandoned, or they were abandoned or neglected, um, when they reach the point where they realize that this uh, unhealthy relationship experience has a certain dominance over their love life, they begin to challenge it. And in my book, I write about the unlearning method, which involves three steps. Step one is to identify what the un healthy relationship experiences are and it's an important step where people get the consciousness necessary to begin applying the, an unlearning experience and that comes as a consequence of challenging these learned uh, beliefs and behaviors um, and that's a wonderful uh, in, innate capacity that we all possess in yeah. When we've learned something that's not working and unhealthy and we become aware of how unhealthy it is, it's possible to set up what I like to think of as a therapeutic, uh, challenge inside of ourselves where we, we we disrupt that old learned habit or experience and, and we don't let it have the kind of dominance it's had. So you can strengthen that process by Strengthening a person's ability to become more and more conscious of it, to understand the unhealthy nature of it, the toxic nature of it. And then the step three would be to 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 do the opposite. To, if you've had experiences of abandonment, to really understand the importance of commitment and how to tell the difference between people who are emotionally available and those that are not. Um, uh, or, you know, dishonesty to tell the difference between, you know, people who are honest and people who are not and it's so it's so fascinating that over the years I've experienced the patients doing that work where they develop a sensitivity and I think it's consciousness based I'm I'm, I'm big into consciousness I think that's one of our greatest assets consciousness and learning learning is such a user-friendly concept and when it's coupled with consciousness if it's really you get a lot of mileage out of that because people can really use it you know use it and get into the details of it they use that consciousness to think about the interactions they're having with people they understand the importance of making sure these unhealthy relationship experiences are no longer dominating their love lives you know i i grew up in a home with a uh a, a a mother and father who taught me certain things about love relationships that didn't work for me and i didn't know at the time and so as a consequence my love life had a lot of uh, uh dependency and control and self-centeredness in it i i found partners with that uh, those three features over and over again features that my mother taught me were what you'd find in an eligible woman, basically. That's, uh, that was the lesson that I learned. So I, 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 I did the familiar. I found that over and over again and had a slew of disappointments in my love life. And when I learned that, you know, that wasn't healthy, I took a break for a while. I didn't have a sister. I never had a sister. I had three brothers. So I, I, I found some very, it's kind of interesting how this happened. I found some very, um, great people to female women to make best friends. <laughs> and I, I think it was like a little internship. I, I learned uh, that women could be independent, not controlling, and intimate. The opposite of self-centered, in my view. And so I, I went on for a, a number of years, uh, and about five as I look back. And, and it was funny that when those relationships started to break up and circumstances changed, Victoria showed up an independent, not controlling, intimate woman. <laughs> like okay. So the opposite was, you know, it's a concept I was working with here. It's like, okay, people, if they've been neglected, they have to move towards a more intimate type of devoted type of relationship, abandonment, move more towards uh, a relationship where someone can make a commitment, abuse, and we're moving more towards respect. So uh, th- these kinds of alternate, opposite love life corrections, if you will, um, to see people really get good at being able to differentiate that, you know, see it, talk about it, uh, choose partners that really show evidence of being uh, uh, able to practice these opposite, healthier relationship experiences, I think makes a big difference. And I've had the pleasure of witnessing people improve their love lives as a consequence.
0: And hey, Yes, it's such a such an honor to be part of that. And I, I – um... I, I thank you for sharing your story and your journey of um, doing the healing work. And by the way, congratulations! You know you the <laughs> yeah. awareness, right? And then you found and you, and and as the healing, you know, I know you were dedicated to your healing, and then the fruits of your labors paid off, right? And you found <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I don't know photos. how it happened.
1: I, there's still a little mystery there. How did she show up at that point? I mean, I don't Be- know. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. I know. Gotta, gotta I leave know. The mystery I, in there. All right. <laughs> I know
0: how it happened, Tom. I know exactly I how it happen. happened. You were don't committed. Tell me, tell you me. were com- yeah. You were committed to the healing journey, to the healing of, your, of of the trauma in your life, the wounds in your life. You committed to the work. You did that work, you know, religiously. I know you you worked with your mentor, and out of that commitment you healed and here is the gift that you know that that was your reward for the work the you universe did gives
1: you the gift right right i like that thank you well i
0: like, that. I like to say it as you gave yourself the gift your your spirit mm. your soul brought you that gift because you you opened the energies you healed and you were able to truly be present to receive what your mm. heart's desire was, you know, it's, it, and it's, mm. it's, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a profound moment, right? It's a profound experience to arrive at that place.
1: Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. And it can be, and the counterpart to it is that, uh, when you're lost in the repeating, replicating disappointment phase of this kind of journey, it's horrible it's lonely it's hurtful um, to be in a situation where you're repeating uh unhealthy experiences over and over again um, it's dreadful in fact i i uh i became aware that there's a large number of people who are reached what i call resignation Um, In my blog, the Love Life Learning Center, I I write posts that I believe will offer people real information about their love life and stuff, you know, uh, things that people can use. And I remember writing an article uh, entitled How to Live Without Love in Your Life a long time ago. And uh, I got so many comments on that post. That I revised the post a couple of times, um, and I built in some of the things people were saying to me about it because the article was basically about that state of mind when you're hurt too many times and you've reached a point where, no, love, love's too painful. Uh, Best to be alone even though your heart yearns for something more, it feels trapped in the repetitiveness of the disappointment that you're experiencing. And I, I learned a lot about that, uh, that particular state of mind. And I think it's possible for someone in that state of mind to come out of it, but it's, it's, you know, it's work and the work involves again, healing the hurts that have collected over time mm-hmm. and, Remain unresolved.
0: Can we go over um, the, the the key um, issues, the the wounds that you write about, just so people have an idea uh, and can see the the many uh, variations on a theme, so to speak, of the hurts mm-hmm. and the wounds that yeah. uh, set up set us up for patterns okay. that create these yes. unsatisfactory relationships that need to be healed to create what we truly want.
1: Yes, yeah. And I'll 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 list them as uh the unhealthy relationship experience and the feeling feeling that it creates um which became a way of helping people identify. Um for example, abandonments at the top of the list. And the feeling that it creates is a feeling of loss in a person's love life. And, of course, these un- un- unhealthy relationship experiences, when we learn from them, we can learn what I find is that people learn uh, beliefs and behaviors primarily. They, they learn that abandonment is part of a love life, for example. If you've grown up in a home where abandonment took place and it happened in the, in the love lives of most of the adults that you know, or many of the adults that you know, this can engender an unconscious belief that abandonment is part of the love life experience. Um, and also the behavior that you learn is to either abandon in your love relationships or to find people who will abandon you or both. I mean, I, i I've worked with people who, under certain circumstances in certain relationships, were the abandoning person. And in others, they, they found people who abandoned them. So it can go either way or both. But the first one on the list is abandonment and the loss that that can create. The second is abuse. And the feeling that abuse creates that can dominate a person's love life is fear. And I'm talking about... Um, I'm talking about physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, verbal abuse, and emotional abuse, where certain feelings are created that are abusive in a relationship. Uh, people who create guilt, who intimidate, uh, and such. Uh, so uh, abuse and the feeling is fear. Uh, the next one is control excessive forms of control, uh, and the feeling is being trapped, trapped in the relationship. And uh, I've certainly met people who, it's like, I, I've met, I've worked with women who were domestically imprisoned. I'm going to use that phrase, you know, where uh, locks on doors and uh, married to people who are so insecure and unable to tolerate a sense of freedom in the relationship that they basically imprisoned their partner who had to escape and, and that I've met unfortunately more than a few people with that particular experience. The next one is dependency which can create the feeling of neediness for example growing up with a dependent parent um, uh, where like in my In my case, I was a parentified child. I took care of my mother emotionally. Uh, When I was young, very young, um, took care of her emotionally, conversations, her confidant. She she told me a year before she died that, what would she say? The exact sentence was, you know I'm responsible for who you became. Right. Okay. <laughs> is that a good thing? Uh, let me call my analyst <laughs> and I'll get back to you, Bob. <laughs> All right. That, that one's got a lot of layers in it, if you know what I mean. I think you know what I mean. <laughs> All right. Good All right. material, so the, the huh? next, Yeah, right. <laughs> the next one on the list is a common one as well, dishonesty. And uh, unfortunately, people encounter that quite a bit in uh, in love life. Uh, stresses. Um, And the feeling that dishonesty creates, obviously, is deception. Feeling deceived. um, People who uh, cheat infidelity. This is a common form of dishonesty. Uh, Living double lives in a relationship. Uh, Triangle relationships, which is another. I I wrote a post about triangle relationships uh, that got quite a onslaught of commentary the title was i love a married woman i wrote this post and it was one of my most popular posts and i learned that there were so many people in love with married women uh, where the husbands did not know about the lover and so i wrote a companion uh, post called i love a married man (laughs) so i got i got these two posts out there which people enjoy reading and, and comment on quite a bit over time uh the next uh, one on the list is dominance where people feel powerless and helpless uh dominance in the relationship uh and that can be a source of uh of uh, of pain and hurt uh the next one is exploitation where people feel used uh in a love relationship because of uh exploitation that was experienced early in life where Children, adolescents, um, are used in one way or another by family members. Um, the next one is intrusion, um, which creates the feeling of violation, to be violated. Um, <clears throat> the next one is mistrust, uh, being exposed to mistrust when you're younger and as a consequence, the feeling of being untrustworthy. The next one is a a very important one, neglect, which we've recognized. And I've noticed that in the DSM-5, our diagnostic Bible, neglect finally made it uh, Mm -hmm. in recent years, which is good, and I'm hoping that these interpersonal traumas uh, become even more prominent um and uh, the next one is rejection where people feel rejected and the last one uh, I've cited 11 this is the twelfth one self-centeredness uh, another word for narcissism uh, where the feeling is insignificance feeling insignificant um, and and what's in, and I, if I may i I'd, I'd like to I'd like to point out their opposites if I could take a moment because that might, mm-hmm. might yeah. really complete the list in a certain way. Um, and once these unhealthy relationship experiences are understood to exist in a person's love life and the feelings I cited are ways in which they can be, um, identified, um, because these feelings become so repetitive and so common in a person's love life, um, as they move through the unlearning method and they begin to challenge the prominence of these unhealthy relationship experiences, <clears throat> uh, you reach a point where something new is possible. And so the opposites are a good way to structure that newness in your mind. You know, the opposite of abandonment would be commitment, people who can make a commitment. People who are emotionally available for commitment would be a way to think about the healthy relationship experience, the opposite of this unhealthy relationship experience of abandonment. Uh, the opposite of abuse is respect. The opposite of control is freedom. The opposite of dependency is independence. Dishonesty is Honesty. Dominance would be equality in a love relationship between partners, which is very important. Uh, the opposite of exploitation, I chose the word consideration. Consideration is, I chose the word consideration because you're not using somebody, you're considering who they are, what they need, what's good for them. And, um, so that, that I think of as the opposite of exploitation. The opposite of intrusion is a restraint and boundaries to be able to maintain a sense of boundary and restraint when you're dealing with someone, which, you know, another form of respect that you know, people have boundaries that are important to acknowledge and respect. The opposite of mistrust is trust. Opposite of neglect is devotion. And uh, the opposite of rejection is acceptance. And uh, the opposite of self-centeredness is intimacy, mutuality. Mm. Um, and And... <clears throat> I see these opposites as healthy relationship experiences that once a person can identify what the unhealthy relationship experiences they've had and been exposed to and how it set up a set of feelings that get repet- repeated and behaviors and beliefs that get repeated in their love life, uh, knowing what the opposite opposites are can help a person kind of guide a person toward what would be healing. Corrective, in other words, um, a corrective. Uh, as a psychotherapist, you know about all the controversy over the phrase corrective emotional experience we've had in our profession. Well, I I resurrected that phrase a little bit in recent years for myself and my research, and I, I think that, you know, the, the big criticism about corrective emotional experience in psychotherapy was that, you know, therapists would uh would kind of manipulate the therapy process by creating these uh, make-believe experiences. So I, I acknowledge that. But I think there's other ways in which corrective experiences can come into people's lives. I think we have, for example, we have the ability to create corrective experiences in our own lives, you know, to know that something is good for us and to go looking for it and to understand it and to understand how it might be found. And I also think that people can co-create corrective emotional experiences together. That mm-hmm. uh, once you have a sense, for example, that, you know, um, honesty is important in a relationship, for example, to find someone who has that value as well. And you know it because you've, experienced it with them and you've witnessed it in some ways you've looked for. I think the co-creation of that honesty together can be a way of, you know, promoting growth in a relationship and growing together with someone in a relationship. Yes. You know,
0: you've uh, beautifully shared these um you know many variations on the theme of the, the 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 perceptions that and the experiences that we have in our life and then the healing that needs to be done i i do have a quick question for you I this is an yes, huge topic and you know we have lots you know so much we could go on for hours tom but what do you say uh, to people who have a partner that will not change, that will not mm. commit to learning and healing you know in that relationship? What what is your advice to someone who's in that situation?
1: So the implication of what you're saying is that <clears throat> one person, one person has grown and one has not. Yes. Because now it's become a problem. And and one person is saying to the other person, uh, it's time for us to grow together, and it's time for you to grow, and you're not, or you're resistant. You're defensive. You're not interested in growing. Um, this is a big problem, a big problem because there's no easy solution for it. There are options. Uh, and some are better than others. Uh, and the way I, the way I, I approach this issue is with options. I think people have choices to make when this kind of question is asked. Um, emotional choices to make. They have to check their feelings, what they can tolerate, uh, what they're willing to experience. Um, for example, um, one option is to realize you're in a committed perhaps married to someone who is not interested in growth beyond a certain point or not at all. Now you're this you have a decision to remain in the relationship as is, which is a form of acceptance or leaving. And I've witnessed both in people's lives, where a person has said to, for example, has said to a partner, um, come into couples therapy with me or I'm leaving. You need therapy. (laughs) I'm in therapy. You need therapy. If you don't do it, I'm leaving because I can't tolerate some of the things you do. Um, i i hear this often i have people in my practice now struggling with this kind of thing Um, and the option to stay when the person says no i'm not changing or i'm not interested in therapy i'm not interested in self-growth self-knowledge that's one option of course it's I, I'm using the word tolerance for it because there'll be some unhappiness there. There'll be uh tolerance. Um, being in a relationship that's not growing is a sacrifice. And so, um, and sometimes people make the sacrifice because there's children and they don't wish to destabilize a family. Sometimes they do that with the projected plan to leave when the children are grown up. I, I mean, as a therapist, we can hear this privately. They don't necessarily tell their husband or wife, but I've certainly heard, heard, have heard people say that to me, you know, I'm staying for the kids. We live like we're roommates. Um, co parentings not bad, but there's nothing really happening between the two of us. I'm going to stay until the kids are such and such an age and so on. Um, The other option is to leave and separate, divorce. Um, To leave, I think, is difficult, but in some cases a release, um, liberation. It can be difficult and then a liberation. Um, Oftentimes people use therapy to strengthen their capacity to separate in this kind of situation where they've spent a lot of time trying to understand why someone, a partner, won't grow, won't change, won't work on the relationship. And uh, after a certain amount of time and a certain amount of talk, they get to the point where they realize, I'm not going to stay. I can't tolerate it. I won't tolerate it. I deserve better. I'm going to offer a third option, but I I don't think it's a healthy one, if I may. Yeah. The third option is, and I talk about this in my book as one of the after effects of unresolved, unhealthy relationship experiences, and that's when you try to change your partner okay i'm i married to a limited man i'm gonna turn him into a intimate loving man. My love will heal him or um my, i'm married to a woman who doesn't communicate her feelings i'll uh I'll help her learn how to do that i'll I'll change her um this kind of thing happens a lot. Uh, People try to do this. They try to do it as a way to cope with these limitations we're talking about. Um, In the years of practice that Mm -hmm. I've done, I've never met someone who actually had a success changing another human being. (laughs) <laughs> it just doesn't happen. People change because they want to change, not because we want them to change. And if we try to change them, you get R&R, and that's not rest and relaxation. It's resistance and resentment. And that's what you get, trying to change someone. So I would not counsel people to do that. In fact, I do the opposite. I I point out how that creates misery And if you can't, basically, if you can't accept who your partner is, then it's best to pack up and know that this is a relationship that's coming to an end. Um, You know, an old friend of mine used to say when we used to talk about love life issues, um, he used to say to me, The trick to a really good love life is to find someone whose faults you can live with. (laughs) I always liked that. (laughs) You know, it's a simple statement. It's right to the point, you know. (laughs) That's it, you know. I can live with your faults. That's it. I don't have to struggle to change you and so on. So I can rest and relax, let my hair down and enjoy the ride.
0: Well, it really is an impossible task to change somebody, so that option really doesn't work well. No, <laughs> you know, not uh, at
1: all. It's
0: frustration. Too many people right?
1: try. Too many people try. <laughs>
0: you know, people try because we think that the solution is outside of ourselves, hmm. and therefore we're always trying to externalize where the problem lies. Right. And you got the it. The, That's right. Wow. the big the big revelation is the big. The big moment is that the power is within you. You have to change. You have to shift your perception. You have to address the the, the, the wounds you carry. Then the world can change. And your partner can then have the space potentially to to change as well. But it's gotta start mm-hmm. potentially. But it's gotta start with you. You have to make that commitment to do the yep. inner work. Um, you know, we're right at the end of the show, and I want people to know about your book, and I want people to know about the programs you offer. So can you share with my audience your new book, Learn to Love, Guide to yes, Healing to Your love. Disappointing Love Life? Yep.
1: Yep. It's uh, on Amazon. It, it, it won a bunch of book awards, too. I'm so happy about Congratulations. that. It's a self yeah. Thank you. Five of them. <laughs> wow! I'm so happy with this little book. I, I wrote it on a whim. I, I wrote it because I wanted people to have something they could read that they could apply. It's a guidebook, basically. It's a short book, easy to read. I wrote it for everybody, anybody with love life concerns that they could get some idea about how to work with their love life in in real ways that would produce... Some real change. So I'm so happy that that people have enjoyed this book and continue to enjoy it. Uh, I even put together a pod, uh, not a podcast, but a uh, PowerPoint that I'm hoping that once this pandemic lets up a little bit more, I can get out to some of the audiences in uh, in New York and then beyond um, to talk about some of the some of the issues and ideas in this book in a PowerPoint demonstration. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, I have my website, thelovelifelearningcenter.com for anybody that wants to find out a little bit more about myself and and my wife, Victoria, who's also a uh, psychotherapist. She and I have a group practice on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Um, And uh, uh, we offer love life consultations uh they're mostly by phone at this point um so we have that service available and uh that's it well that's also I mean, i'm perfect. talking about my, my my regular practice of course i mean I'm a clinical psychologist and a psychoanalyst, and so i i, I see patients in in that way as you know patients of psychotherapy and psychoanalysis but uh, love life consultations are more for the specialty that I'm interested in, as well.
0: Well, you know, you, you offer lots of resources, Tom. That's great, and I, I have read your book, Learn to Love. It's an easy read, but very profound. So, anyone who is struggling with the um, issue of relationships, <laughs> of and, you know, of whatever sort in their lives. Uh, I actually uh, heartily recommend that you pick up a copy of Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life with Dr. Thomas Jordan, who's been my guest today. Um, Tom, it's really been a pleasure. I just have about a minute. Do you have a parting word to share with my audience?
1: Um, Well, number one, thank you for inviting me, Cheryl. I've enjoyed every second of this. I my my parting word would be work on your love life. It's yeah. very important that we all work on our love lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and that's such a good point because we're always growing and evolving. So it's an ongoing process, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's not a static experience. We're all needing Absolutely. to work Absolutely. Love life. And
1: you remember that old that old song from the 1970s, I think, what the world needs now? It's still a plot. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it always will because it's it you uh-huh. know love 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 is what makes the world go round. It's who we are. Absolutely. And we're on it. we're on our journey to find it and to become it. In all aspects. So Absolutely. thank you for thank you thank you for your work Tom for your dedication in the realm of uh, relationships and helping people to navigate through this maze and support the healing journey of now so many more people with your book out there so uh, mm, it's just been yes. a pleasure yes. to have you on the show very gratifying we've enjoyed mm-hmm. and we've all I'm sure all of us listening have enjoyed your wisdom. And uh, just wishing you the best of everything. So thanks again for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much.
0: And to all of you listening, thank you for joining me for another wonderful conversation on the Love Code. And um, I trust you will be with me next week. And until then, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.